Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, I'm Ollie Mann. Welcome to the Media Podcast. On the show this week, Lad's Lad Dapper Laughs lands himself in trouble. But is he a victim of trial by Twitter? The investigative journalist, known only as the fake shake, is unveiled by investigative journalists. Politicians reheat their arguments as the BBC Charter renewal debate warms up. Three big beasts of the local newspaper industry combine forces to sell advertising. And in the Media Podcast quiz, where's the Sony Awards gone? That's all to come on this week's Media Podcast, sponsored by Audioboom. Well, joining me today in the hospital club for another round of drinks, I mean analysis and gossip, are City University journalism lecturer Liz Howell and the director of the Guardian International Edinburgh Television Festival, Lisa Campbell. Welcome both. Uh, what have you been up to this week, Liz, first of all? Oh, I've had a really interesting week. Um, I have a, a job as a specialist advisor at the House of Lords inquiry into women in TV and radio. But last week I went along, um, sorry, this week I went along to hear... Um, Ed Richards, who's the outgoing chair of Ofcom, mm. talked to the committee, and it was actually open to the public. But I was the only member of the public there, so that was quite interesting in itself. But he was—it was fascinating. I mean, I, I hadn't realised the huge scope of what Ofcom do, and one of the points he made was that they're almost perpetually in court because their decisions can be challenged on the basis of merit. So they're constantly having their decisions mm. channel, challenged, unlike a lot of other regulators. And so he's spending like two and a half, three days a week in court, which is astonishing. I never thought I'd feel sorry for a regulator. And Lisa, what have you been up to this week? Uh, well, we had Paul Lee, who is the president of ABC Entertainment, big big network boss who's actually a Brit uh, in Hollywood. So quite interesting hearing about him comparing life um, you know, and, and programming in the UK and the US. He's quite interesting talking about pitching shows and he compared it to sort of 17th century France. You know, there's this sort of you know, you arrive early or late depending on the pecking order. In fact, where you meet is all about who's more important. So the studios are in the valley and the talents on the west side. Um, and in some cases, you have to meet. There's one restaurant on a hill that is equidistant, and you know you, you kind of meet there. And he said, you know, so sometimes Brits come over and go, "Hey, come over to our offices." And he's like, "Whoa, you don't know what you've even don't begun to say." How this yeah. works. So this incredibly ritualized sort of process. It's so, extraordinary, yeah. isn't it? That especially in this world of multi-platform you know genuinely ideas coming from all over the web and everywhere else that they're still in Hollywood this kind of lunching culture and that's how you're supposed to get ideas off the ground. I think that's everywhere I really think that's everywhere it's who you know and it'll never change. Okay well whilst we're talking about ideas coming off the web uh, let's start this week 
uh, well, with last week's controversy, but, you know, such is the nature of a fortnightly podcast, Dapper Laughs. Uh, his show pulled off ITV2. He's told Newsnight, or at least Daniel O'Reilly, the comedian, told Newsnight that Dapper Laughs is now dead. Live tour cancelled, ITV show axed after one series. Uh, this, of course, after the online petition against the show getting 70,000 signatures. Uh, I don't really know where to start with this. I mean, let's start with you, Lisa, I suppose. If you were running ITV2, would you have pulled the show as well? Even though clearly he had a big audience online who loved him. I wouldn't have commissioned it in the first place. So, um, yeah, Liz and I probably be on agreement uh, in agreement on this. Given that we uh, we launched the expert women campaign together, it's probably uh, not really our cup of tea. Um, I think um, I think it does throw up some really interesting questions, though, about about censorship in a way. I mean, you know, is it right to shut someone down? Um, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't think you should have the TV show, but the sort of the debate as well. It, it felt um, my immediate response was stop him, stamp on him, shut him down. Um, but, you know, you can't do that for BNP or UKIP or, you know, whoever else. It's it's the sort of the spotlight of truth can, can you know, help get it out there and, and discussed and debated. And it, and it, it highlighted what's inappropriate. Um, but it it's also you know there's been comments around is it correct to victimize somebody and use the sort of power of of the web to to target an individual when there's a whole bigger story about he's used the power of the web to build up this enormous following and you know you live by the sword and you die by the sword and this is this is what's happened to him I, i can see that what you're saying but actually if you were to say for him from about him and sort of julian Blanc as well. If but you Julian Blanc, the, the pickup artist, yes, quite self-styled, yes. uh, who's now been barred from the country, which because is this week's news and another example of you could call it the kind of outrage mob. Absolutely, it, it is the court of public opinion, which whether you like it or not, social media is unleashed. So if you were to look at what Julian Blanc says and take out the word women and put in the words black people, you'd be absolutely horrified. Uh, and so in effect, I think you know it's absolutely right that this guy's stopped. What he's saying is not, it's not just that it's deeply offensive, it's almost illegal. And you know, how would you feel if, if a man or a woman was going around saying, oh, you know, stamp on men, damage them, hurt them? You wouldn't like it. Well, if it had been a woman saying the same thing, be more animalistic, be more primal, you know, show you're the boss, it is misogynistic and you might say it's unpleasant. It's not illegal. Is there a fuss, you know, from a sort of feminist, liberal left outrage mob here? I think it is neo neo if that's the right word or nearly um illegal it's an incitement to violence and it's really deeply unpleasant and it should be stopped but then that's a, it's a personal view isn't it some people find it funny in the and it's a it's a character it's a construct like ali g it, it's not real and it's uh you know you you can take it literally i mean i you know i'm defending it like as if i think it's great at all. i don't at all but i think there's you know the, the idea that feminism um is is sort of galvanizing in in this way it's very noisy it's very online it's very immediate and it's very sort of shutting down instantly that's the the juliet bindell isn't it and there's there's something about the you know targeting institutions yes she's absolutely right institutions and and legality should be challenged as much as individuals just just be clear this is an article that julie bindell wrote talking about um, this as well was it in the in the guardian um yeah she was saying very much as Lisa's saying that we're better as feminists targeting our, targeting our energies towards institutions and laws rather than picking on idiot comedians. But but I don't agree. I think picking on the idiot comedian is a really good thing to do. These people should not be allowed to get away with it. 
vicious, terrible things have done in, in the UK in the name of banter. And I think the sooner we, we face up to that and say to people this sort of thing's not acceptable, the better. Well, let's talk about the media side of this, because, Lisa, you alluded to the fact here that one of the uh, defences for Daniel O'Reilly is that he is technically a character comedian. He's playing a character. Now, that defence isn't new, is it? That's the same thing people said about Alf Garnet. It's the same thing that people said about Al Murray. And, you know, I can think of plenty of examples of character comedians where they are satirising something and then they end up uh, drawing an audience of dunderheaded idiots that they're trying to satirise. That argument can be made, can't it, for Dapper Loves? He's saying, and he said on Newsnight, you don't honestly think I'm this much of a boneheaded idiot, are you? I'm saying, look how stupid men are. Mm, exactly. But you're, you're right, it's the, it's the danger in people thinking it is real, it is acceptable, and you can do that. And, and But, you know, we can't... You know, you can't sort of regulate for, for idiots who are gonna who are gonna watch. You know, I mean, it's that that is a problem. And and I think what what is sort of depressing about it is that it's, it becomes a feminist issue. You know, I'd I'd like to see more men standing up and saying, actually, this is wrong, and you don't treat women like this. Um, you know, joke or otherwise. You know, it, it shouldn't be a women's problem. I don't actually think that it was a character construct mocking this sort of, as you say, dunderhead man. I think it it was a money-making exercise which looked to those sort of men to empathise with it. And I really find it offensive, and I think if it was against any other minority group, women are not a minority, of course, but any minority group, people would be absolutely horrified. But because it's women, it's fair game, and I think that's wrong. OK, but, you know, you talk about it as a money-making exercise. To be fair, it started as a series of vines. No-one does vines to make money to begin with. The point at which this became a money-making exercise with the tour and everything else mm. was arguably the point at which management companies got involved. Mm. Uh, companies like the production company who made the show Dapper Laughs on the Pool, Big Minded, which is run by some of the creators of Celebrity Juice, mm. uh, which you could argue runs into some of the same issues of misogyny. Now, all of that uh, is the media getting involved and making money out of it. And absolutely, therefore, this is an attack against big business. This is a, an attack against systemic anti-feminism. This is something that feminists should be doing. It looks like it's an outraged and a shrill attack on one comedian but it is the management companies that take things, these things on that are going to suffer by this and that's absolutely right. And Lisa does it mean that actually indies now might not look online for future talent because if that's the repercussion of this you know because ITV2 wants edgy stuff right this indie found this talent that had this huge following on the internet the two seemed like a match in heaven yeah. is that going to stop now because actually you know that is a way to draw an audience isn't it, it would be a shame if people stopped trying to do that because they're worried about another scandal. I, I don't think that will really have any impact. They're looking for what will work on TV and and YouTube is, you know, there are incredible people out there who've got such a following and, you know, you'd be a fool not to tap into that if it's the right thing. It doesn't have to be something so kind of divisive as this. But, you know, it's interesting looking at YouTube fans, YouTube stars, sorry, a lot of them just aren't interested in television. They like the fact that they've got the editorial control, freedom, to do whatever they like in an online environment and most of them are making a lot more money than they ever would on television I mean Zoella's just signed a you know super drug um, thing it's all about the brands they don't they don't need television so it's it's almost the other way around the, the TV companies have got to work hard to to, to prove why you do it we, we try to get a whole host of YouTube stars to come to the Edinburgh TV festival and they just weren't interested they're like we don't need you This episode of the Media Podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. 
And what is Squarespace? Why, it's the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio and online store. Media podcast listeners can get a free trial and 10% off by entering the made-up word MEDIAPOD at the checkout. But how does it work, I hear you ask? Well, you just drag and drop your pictures, your texts, your audio visuals all into your browser window, choosing a template that suits your project, and, well, that's it. You're ready to launch in just a few minutes. Start a trial with no credit card required and begin building a website with Squarespace today. And so we turn to the fake shake, the news of the world journalist, otherwise known as Maza Mahmood, the subject of a panorama investigation into his alleged stings. The programme also revealed his face after lawyers for the journalist failed in their attempts to prevent the broadcast with an injunction. Mahmood is currently suspended from his current job at The Sun on Sunday following the collapse of the trial of Talisa Kontostavlos, in which Mahmood was part. Now, in that case, Mahmood has denied acting improperly, but obviously that was the reason why Panorama uh, felt now was the moment to do this sting. But still, 20 years it's been with his face protected from the papers, people not knowing what he looked like. Liz, was it inevitable that, you know, his, his identity would eventually become public? Oh, absolutely. And in many ways, you know, you think, well, if people are doing wrong and they're going to be outed and there's going to be a useful public interest in there, this is all very fine and well. But actually, there is something quite sneaky and nasty about the way this was done, the, the sort of entrapment element of it, which doesn't seem to have entered into the, the legal discussion at all. I, I don't know. I think it's probably just as well that he's been outed and perhaps to some extent um, discredited. I, I can see see from an investigative journalism point of view that there was exciting great stuff that he he did like the Pakistani cricketers for example but it's not a nice way to earn a living and it's it does make me uncomfortable this idea of people being trapped I know that a friend of mine it happened to therefore I'm perhaps more likely to feel that but there's just something unsavory about it and about him I think. And Lisa you know looking back sort of pre-Leveson at the News of the World and all of that, this was one of the few things that they could hold on to and say, look, we do great investigative reports. And it feels like this has been dragged through the mud now as well. And there's nothing left from that era of massive selling tabloid newspapers that people are proud of. Yeah. And I think it it seemed to have its place in its day as well. I think, you know, Liz is right. There were certain times where it felt justified whether you agreed with the methods or not. There was a, there was a good outcome. But it's the... Um, it just all started to feel a bit dodgy, as though he'd, he'd sort of crossed the line, you know, d- would do whatever it took to get the story. And, and, and therefore, you know, you can no longer justify it. Liz, let's talk about Panorama as yes. a journalistic force. Um, because, you know, in a, in a much publicised kind of uh, night of the long knives, they're not really a journalistic force anymore, are they? What happens next, do you think, for these kinds of stories? Well, it's really going to be very interesting to see what happens because of what um, Tony Hall said about production going out of house at the BBC or at least the uh, window of creative competition being extended. It's so complicated. I mean, the BBC has this really complicated arrangement whereby 25% of programmes, not news, are produced by the BBC. 25% go to Indies under the definition of Indies under the Communications Act, I think it is. And then there is this window of creative competition where everybody can compete. And uh, Hall has talked about that being extended and in-house BBC programming being um, dramatically reduced, in effect, because it's got to compete or compare. But this causes terrible problems because... 
if you're working within the BBC and therefore you're funded by the licence fee and therefore you make a programme for ITV and you get paid, how does that work? It's almost as if this initiative hasn't been properly thought through at all. Yeah, I mean, it's a problem, isn't it, Lisa, for shows like Panorama? It's fine what Liz is describing if you're making a reality show about the Fulfords, but actually if you're doing something that requires years of research for something that ultimately wouldn't make money really in the marketplace, that yeah, only the BBC can do that. Yeah, I, th- I think this really highlights the massive problem at the heart of this. And I've, I think Liz is right, I don't think it has been properly thought through in terms of the practicalities because it has to be a level playing field um, with with indies and so there can't be any kind of subsidy for for this new co as it's being called internally Um, so if if therefore it isn't part of the BBC it's housed somewhere else you've got all the expensive overheads and rent you know the same as any indie so something like Panorama which has benefited from being at the BBC from in-house training from from big teams from you know editors they're sort of working around you know very very expensive to do that in a commercial environment um you know the, the the budget for dispatches must be you know absolutely tiny you know you speak to indies about how difficult it is to do those investigations and and they're not a money-making exercise at all you know people do it for the their, credibility yes yeah, the yeah. credibility and maybe to win an award or something i don't know it's really very interesting looking at say dispatches which um is now really gone back to just two two companies really there's Quicksilver and ITM Productions make most of dispatches so this whole idea of throwing it up in the air and seeing who'd like to grab a bit of the cake if you can imagine a cake being thrown up in the air it it comes down in the end to the same people grabbing the slices of the cake and of course the licence fee debate is beginning to heat up now isn't it ahead of all of that being looked into after the next election conveniently by whichever government is in control at the time it's really interesting the whole licence fee issue because I, I personally think that the licence fee can't survive in its current form very much longer at all and uh, that's key to all of this um, and that's what Andrew Bridgen is talking about through the criminalisation issue and all the rest of it can the licence fee be retained and again working a lot with people in their early 20s you find that a lot of them don't pay the license fee have no intention of paying the license fee don't even know that it exists because they get most of their material on catch-up or on other devices Um, and when when they're at home their parents pay it their parents are one day going to be dead are they going to pay it i don't think they are Um, the the issue is how soon will the license selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. 
It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. fee have to be changed and will that issue have to be grasped? And my personal view is that in the next charter renewal process, the BBC should be given a finite amount of time to sort out what they're going to do about the licence fee because it cannot last forever. Well, and in the meantime, what does the decriminalisation of the licence fee mean for the BBC? It means that they just don't have, won't have as much money to spend. So they've, they've tried to put a figure on it, but who knows if it isn't, you know, it could be it could be massive that the the loss um but i think it's interesting that the political standpoint you know you've got harriet harman backing the bbc but saying it's imperfect but until someone comes up with a better idea which isn't really a ringing endorsement for it the bbc should be coming up with a better idea they've they've got these top brains in there and and they've got time they should be coming up with an answer to the license fee well in fairness there's increasing monetization on iplayer isn't there and you could argue that is an answer by stealth but no no that's the problem not the answer that's absolutely the problem because the, the the existence of iPlayer is the one single thing that undermines the licence fee. It is not about funding the BBC in principle. It's not about um, getting lots of fabulous programmes and content. It's a very simple payment that every household makes to receive live television. As more and more households are not receiving live television, then the issue of the licence fee's viability is, is in question. And, and it's now old-fashioned and it's different and I always think it's so intriguing to, 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 to think that the licence fee was in existence before votes for women across the board. You know, that's how old the licence fee is. But it's incredibly good value when you compare it to all the other packages that are out there, which is you know, uh, 700 £800 pounds a year if you were going to get all the services that you'd want with BT Sports, um, Netflix, Amazon, everything else. Well, Lisa, you have effortlessly segued us into our next story because I want to talk to you about the Ofcom report into the rising cost of pay TV packages. As you say, many customers now faced with monthly bills of £100 or more. That's for broadband as well as TV, but that is a lot, isn't it? And the Ofcom report says this is because of greater competition for content rights from football to films and on providers successfully selling premium packages to viewers. Um... This is the problem, isn't it? Virgin Media have lodged a complaint with Ofcom into the rising cost of Premier League football rights. The bottom line is, you know, as Virgin and BT Sport and Sky fight it out for who gets the rights, the customer does end up actually paying more. We lose out, don't we? Absolutely, yes. That's the nature of the market, isn't it? If you want your football, you're going to have to pay for it. And the interesting thing about the BBC is you pay this blanket fee and you get lots of interesting... um events and so on. You know, you get the Grand National, you get the Cup Final and all that stuff. But this Ofcom report does show, doesn't it, Lisa, that people actually are prepared to pay over £1,000 a year to watch the stuff they want to. Mm. And I think it goes back to to Lizzie's point about you know where is it going to go in the future because if the BBC licence fee doesn't exist and if, if we do go down a, a subscription route, then the competition is absolutely intense and for people who haven't grown up with the BBC then there's every likelihood they'll say okay I'll have Netflix and Amazon Prime I love my big dramas I don't need everything else I can Netflix get news online I'll, I'll watch Vice you know um, so I, I do think it's it's a massive issue and if we can sit here talking about it on the podcast surely they should be talking about it you know in New Broadcasting House or wherever they hang out I'm sure they've got the biggest best brains on it right now mm, perhaps we should help <laughs> well moving on from really big money stuff to 
uh, well, the little guys, really, local newspapers. There are only three big players left, Johnson Press, Local World and NewsQuest. Well, I suppose there are four if you include Trinity Mirror, but those first three have now formed a partnership called 1XL to sell advertising across a network of local and regional papers. Uh, Liz, this is the saviour of local papers. We're all going to have local papers for the next 50 years because of this, right? Right? I never thought that local papers would completely die out. And I can't think why they didn't think about this idea of, of sort of universal selling earlier, because that's the ITV principle, isn't it? That you sell your, your, your spine advertising throughout the whole country and you then you know, subdivide to the smaller elements that go into it. I think it, it could work and there will always be local newspapers. Well, Lisa, you've been a print editor. Obviously, you were at Broadcast Magazine. Do you think there is still love for print locally? Um, and is advertising the issue? I think print's sort of coming back into fashion. I mean, there's examples of online um, travel brands that are moving into doing a glossy magazine because the glossy magazines have moved out of it thinking there's no money. So they're either... Maybe there is the money now that they've they've left. You know, they you just need to do it better. So it's quite interesting how it's sort of cyclical in some ways. I think local... Local papers, there's, you know, there's always a need to know what's going on in your local area. I think that, you know, most of them come through your door for free anyway. Um, You know, we have the East London Life or East London Lies, as I like to call it, um, which is, you know, the sort of council thing. And um, so, which is... Tower Hamlets is the rotten borough and you've got the mayor look for Roman who's been up to all sorts and then it's just beautiful coverage of him with the children in the <laughs> primary schools talking about free school dinners and so yeah that's a waste of time but for the rest I think I think this is really interesting I think this gives it does give some hope but when we talk about local is it actually a case of hyper local that's coming back the Scotsman the Scotland on Sunday and the Edinburgh Evening News all merging now uh, isn't that a case of actually um, those kind of mid-sized local papers Scotsman's a national, I suppose, um, not managing to survive against the sort of My Edinburgh News free sheet. But they're the ones that are taking the word paper out of their, or, or print out of their, their title, aren't they? They're, they're merging together as a, as a news organ, a news organisation. Um, it, it's just a different way of getting the news about. But you can get a lot of that information locally from Facebook, from friends sharing links, and, and then you don't have to have the boring ads or the, uh, or the lies that are pumped through the um, through the paper. I think <laughs> this issue of councils subsidising papers is, is a really interesting one anyway. And that's a that's a, diff- a different sort of area and a dangerous one. OK, well, we're going to finish with some commissioning news now. Telly, Channel 4, ordering a raft of new shows, including Hunted, in which contestants attempt to evade being caught on CCTV as they escape from a group of hunters. <laughs> uh, and the sitcom Morning Has Broken, which actually does sound awesome, uh, Julia Davis as a breakfast TV presenter. Uh, let's talk about that first. Uh, Lisa, uh, when you think about the uh, debacle around Daybreak over the past few years, I mean, actually, when you put this into satire, is Julia Davis going to come up with anything that's bleaker than what's going on behind <laughs> the scenes at ITV Breakfast? Oh, I've, I've got really high hopes for this. I love Julia Davis. I think she it's about time that she's had a more mainstream platform. I mean, she, she had Hunderby on Sky Arts, which was watched by about three people, but won loads of awards. And I think she's exactly the right person to pick up on really how dysfunctional TV production is. <laughs> That's terrible. It's typical sort of smug Channel 4, you know, having a pop at people who are really trying to make a living doing breakfast television, of which I was one because I was the uh, not very long-lived launch director of GMTV. It's a really hard market and it's really difficult to do. As Channel 4 knows, of course, because it's been 10 years since Rise. Yes. Oh, it sorry, didn't work R.I. colon S.E. Of course, people are working hard 
trying to make a living trying to do something that is is good television and you know the audience isn't isn't there for whatever reason i don't think it's sort of mean-spirited i think uh you know it's it'll be entertaining it'll be fun and, and why not poke poke fun at it i mean really? we'd all it's, like it's, to be a fly on the wall in those dressing rooms wouldn't yeah. we when oh, I've a big been name there. I've been there. big I've name been presenter's that. been lured over and then fired six months later yeah. you'd like to see that conversation i've been the i've been the fly on the wall and i've been swatted it's not <laughs> great <laughs> and actually w1a the spoof documentary on the bbc about the bbc is also coming back uh, lisa does liz have a point that actually tv satirizing itself does become a little bit of an echo chamber after a while and the public aren't necessarily that interested well yeah i I think people in telly love W1A, but at the same time, it felt like a documentary. It didn't. Uh, <laughs> um, so, is it? It's more entertaining for 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 us because you know those characters and you know that a lot of those situations are based on reality. And the number of times I've been in BBC and gone, this is a W1A moment. Mm. Um, uh, I could write a whole script now, in fact. <laughs> so, um, but I I do think that there's an appetite from from the public because everybody's you know really fascinated by media people are making their own shows online um you know i i do think it's it, it isn't navel gazing i think there's there's a real appetite to to see this and there are you know fantastic characters from agents to on screen to presenters to you know the producers behind the scenes and um, there's been obviously disasters sort of itvs um what was it called moving wallpaper and that sort of thing you know that that really didn't work um but i thought it was quite funny yeah, well, maybe because oh, you're in the media, maybe. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it was horrendously <laughs> wanky, but it was quite funny. <laughs> uh, so, as the desperate celebrities of time chew through the kangaroo balls of eternity and the assistant producer of fate rinses the sick bucket of destiny, it's time once more to play the media podcast quiz. It's I'm sorry I haven't a clue. And not content with nicking their jokes, we're going to nick one of their games too. This one is called Dead Air. So here are three audio clues to things that have happened in the past fortnight. Lisa and Liz, can you tell me what they are? Here's the first clip. Okay, tricky one this. I'm going to give you a clue. What you just heard was the sound of an empty ballroom with no free beer or wine being consumed. I know what this is. Liz. It's the uh, Sony Radio Academy Awards that aren't going to happen. That no longer exist because the Radio Academy has ditched them. In fact, the Radio Academy appears to have ditched quite a lot of what made it the Radio Academy. What is going on? What is going on, do you think? Lisa, do you understand why they've made the decisions they have? All I can think of it was the, the world's longest awards ceremony and maybe they just thought we can't put ourselves through it again. No, I, I have no idea. I think it's it's quite a shock and it's and it's and it's quite sad. I think it had a really important place in, in the radio community and really was talked about and I think highlighted new stars, new presenters, you know, people from local radio stations who were given a breakthrough it. So I think it's a real shame. Is it because of the sponsor backing out? Is it the straightforward financial thing? Well, I would hope. I mean, if you look at what Ben Cooper, the, uh, what do they call the manager or chairman, I think, of the Radio Academy said in his explanatory email, it was financial and they're hoping to instill a kind of new version of the awards in some form in the future. But you just think there's a danger that it won't get the profile of the old one. And the old one was reported and all the papers talked about radio stations proudly trumpeted when they were station of the year mm. it's good for the industry you have Absolutely. to do awards as awards i mean the broadcast awards when you know lisa was doing them and still now are really glitzy and you know 
People say, oh, I don't know if it really means anything, but they all turn up. But then what they're talking about is maybe doing a kind of BAFTA-type format where you're all sitting in a West End theatre, which would mean it was cheaper, rather than having a meal necessarily. And I have to say, if they do get new caterers, that would be good, because the vegetarian option at the Sony Awards in 2010 was half a butternut squash filled with some baked beans. <laughs> oh, on <honor. laughs> Just It's true. Uh, £250 a ticket, even if you're nominated. Right, uh, here's the second clip. Uh, see if you can guess what this story is. Now here's your clue. That which we just heard was the sound of a Taylor Swift track on Spotify. Guess the story. Lisa. Um, she wouldn't have her tracks or back catalogue on Spotify um, sort of making a point about the rights that musicians should own and it shouldn't be a free-for-all. And musicians do get paid a pittance, don't they, for their stuff on Spotify? Yeah, you think if an artist the size of Taylor Swift isn't making money out of Spotify, then no one can be. It's really interesting, but Taylor Swift's also used one of her tracks against a sort of 80s um, fitness video. Have you seen it? You know, Songs Are Us, it's hysterical. I'll keep um, an eye you out can for get that, that on YouTube. <laughs> Uh, And also wading into that debate is Hans Zimmer, uh, the composer of uh, Interstellar and various other uh, movies across the years. Uh, Media podcast listeners know him, of course, for writing the theme for Going for Gold. Uh, He's told (laughs) Business Insider magazine that musicians deserve the right to make a living from digital streaming. And that's the issue, isn't it? Obviously, you get something, but you can't make a living out of it. Not really. But no one's making money from digital. And when you talk to any production company, nobody can monetize their online content. Um, Even conversation I was having with ABC and the kind of deals they're doing with Netflix, they're saying, you know, doesn't really make financial sense, but you're sort of dipping your toe in the water because you have to. Mm -hmm. So it's still a massive issue, the sort of digital pennies digital dollars not really happening. If you go back 20 years, say, then the big issue then was how could anybody make any money out of the net at all? Mm. And I myself started a, a net business um, in around 2002, which looking back I think is a really good idea, but it, it couldn't be monetized. If we did it now, it could be monetized. I mean, um, PayPal hadn't started and the, the way that you can gain money through advertising hadn't started. So it's almost like you have to go down that road in order to, order to find a way. And then, you know, you've got Apple announcing this week that they're going to put Beats uh, a new digital streaming service onto every iPhone in the world. You know, a lot of people with those are happy to buy music through iTunes. Feels like they're shooting themselves in the Absolutely. foot with that Why as well. Why would they do that? It's very difficult, isn't it? Because you've got you've got this idea that everybody should have access to everything and, and that just publicity is enough. But then if people can't pay for it, how is it going to work? But actually, you know, Bob Geldof and co releasing their Live Age 30 single this week. Obviously, there is still some money in people buying singles if you ask them nicely to buy it. I'd rather they put their hand in their pocket rather than asking the public to. Um, I think it's really self-serving, self-promotional celebrity culture just gone completely wrong. The the lyrics are terrible, really inappropriate, really offended lots of people. Um, You you know, he attacked Adele for not taking part in this and and, and criticised her for not picking up the phone because she's bringing up a family or something. So a completely condescending attitude and, and a really sort of bullying approach. And she'd actually given quietly to charity which a lot of people do so I just think this kind of self-righteous bullying that's kind of involved in in supporting a, a terrible single is well just but wrong. hold on do they know it's Christmas gets played every Christmas anyway they're going to play the one from the 1980s which is raising money for a famine that's now over I mean but, doesn't it make sense happened, to give the money to Ebola what's happened is that people are much more knowledgeable now and they find those sort of lyrics really offensive and really patronising and will they buy it I don't know but I totally agree with Lisa if the, these people could you know put loads of money towards helping with the Ebola epidemic without asking us to do it too on their behalf but what about my point they're going to play do they know it's Christmas 
anyway. Why not put the funds well, towards a bonus? Exactly. Well, Why don't they just give the royalties rather than asking just to buy it yeah. all over again? Yeah. Mm, but then you've got One Direction fans who are going to spend more money on it, aren't they? They are raising money. Well, yes, but they've got lots of money anyway, and they're just re-releasing an old record, which, you know, frankly, lots of people find deeply offensive. Why bother? Okay, well, let's see if we can have a little bit more harmony in the room over uh, the final story. This is your chance to win the quiz. Buzzing if you know the answer. Now, your clue here is that that was the sound of tumbleweed in Texas, in America, where there is a town. (laughs) There's lots of towns. Which begins with a D. And rhymes with palace. Dallas. Yes. Liz has won the quiz, but do you no, know the story? I That's pathetic. Do you know the story? <laughs> no. Uh, well, we can't have it be a draw, so you've won the cream egg. But anyway, the story oh, is uh, the executive producers of Dallas have given up looking for a new channel to call home after TNT unexpectedly cancelled the show. Uh, fans collected 84,000 signatures and had hoped that Netflix would step in, uh, but to no avail. The last show ended on a cliffhanger. Was Christopher Ewing killed by a car bomb? We will now never know. (laughs) Well, that's tragic. It is, isn't it? I feel like I've ended this show on a bit of a bombshell. Sorry, folks. Well, my thanks to Lisa Campbell and to Liz Howell. This podcast is dedicated to two of our loyal backers who contributed to the show, Gareth Close, an all-round media geek who writes about technology, travelling and telly at garethclose.com, and Will Davies, who says there's rarely a time that I'm not listening to podcasts. Thanks for a quality product. And thank you, Will. We enjoy making it. Uh, That's it for this week. We're back on Friday, the 5th of December. Between now and then, do send us your thoughts. We're on Twitter, at The Media Podcast. The Media Podcast is a PPM production produced by Peter Price and presented by me, Holly Mann. Bye-bye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.